Okay. Uh, speaking of hole in one, this guy shot a 76 this week. That's what, that's what we want right there. He told me he would do that, and I told him I would, I would let him. Uh, I have a couple things I, I want to say before, uh, before I get into the sermon. A few weeks ago, uh, you saw a video of uh, Nathan and Anna Owen, uh, and they were talking about their daughter, uh, Josie. And I don't want, I don't think it's necessarily great for them to be deluged with people, but Josie's here today. And yeah. And she's a cutie. Uh, the other end of the spectrum, basically. Uh, if you weren't, if you haven't been here for 20 years or more, you probably don't uh, uh, know Dennis and Joanne Mahoney or know who they are. But Dennis was our first youth pastor, and he uh, he was a good youth pastor. Uh, he was here for a number of years. Um, they live up in Gullitzville now. Uh, Joanne has uh, brain cancer. Uh, they've stopped treatments. She's at home with uh, uh, with hospice. I, I talked to, uh, to Dennis yesterday. It, it could very well be Joanne's time to go home. But I, I talked to Dennis yesterday and, you know, said, man, I feel you, you know, and, and I do. Uh, if you do know them, I just want to remind you to pray for them. Uh, and especially for Dennis at this point, I mean, quite frankly. Um, but even if you don't, I would like for us to just take a minute. Gillitz feels that way. Yeah. Would, you just, would you just stretch out your hand and let's, let's say a prayer. Oh, and then, Father, I thank you for your mercy. I thank, you for, I thank you for the fact that you're working. You work from the beginning when we're born. You're there at the end when you call us home. You're everywhere in between. You are a great God. And Father, I pray for, for mercy. I pray for grace. I pray for peace. I pray for comfort. I pray even for joy, Father, uh, in the Mahoney household. I ask that you would touch them and be there in a special way this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, well, let's talk about being a living sacrifice, shall we? Uh, would you stand with me and let's read a couple of passages of Scripture. And the words of the Lord are flawless, like silver, purified in a crucible, like gold refined seven times. And then uh, this passage from Romans. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Father, thank you for your good, pleasing, and perfect will. Thank you for these people, Father, who really made an effort to be here today. Thank you for those who weren't able to be here, but they're, but they're, they're watching, they're joining with us. Speak to us. Speak life to us, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. 
Our words are important, and you know that. But generally, we're told they're important because of what they can do. And yeah, they can do stuff. There's no question about it. They can, they can hurt, they can heal, they can create wealth, they can bring disaster. But it's not so much what they can do that makes them important. It's because they are us. Your words are who you are. If, if our words are false, then we are false. If our words are, are bluster, then, then we are empty. If our words are cruel, then we are cruel. If our words are true, then we are true. Um, integrity is a, is a word that you don't hear much anymore. When I was growing up, especially around election time, when I was growing up around election time, man, that was, that was a word that was on everybody's poster, you know, integrity. This is a person of integrity. What they, what they say is, is true, and it's what they are here is what they are there. Uh, okay, well, so that, that, that was the good old days, I guess. Uh, not that way so much anymore. But the words of the Lord are pure. They're pure. They, they have been refined. They can be trusted. They, uh, they bring life and light, and therefore they are sweeter than honey and honey from, from the honeycomb. And they are who he is. Over in John, he starts uh, his gospel by saying, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And when I was growing up, you know, I would go, well, what, what's that? What does that mean? And, you know, and I'd be told, well, that's, that's, that's Jesus. Jesus is the, uh, is the living Word, and, and the Bible is, is the written Word. Uh, I went, okay. Okay, it doesn't say that, but, but actually, yes, it does say that. Um, Jesus is the Logos. He is the living Word. He is what created everything. Through Him, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. And He's, he's also the greatest expression of God's mercy. In fact, later on in verse 16, it says, Out of the fullness of His grace we have all received grace in place of the grace already given. Another translation says one blessing after another. Uh, the, uh, your translation, the message, the one, the one that Kevin loves, says gift after gift after gift after gift has been given through Jesus Christ. And uh, it's, it's, only, it's only fitting, I mean, because uh, He's also the perfect example of what it means to be a living sacrifice. So he's the beginning of it. He's the, he's the end of it. He's, and he's all of it, all, all of it in between. And Paul says to us here, he says, in view of God's mercy. Jesus is the living embodiment of God's mercy. And let me just tell you this. We underestimate God's mercy. We underestimate God's mercy. We, we absolutely do. Now, we should not intentionally sin. I mean, you know, it's not, well, let us sin more so that grace will abound more. I mean, that's, that's ridiculous. No, we don't do that. But, uh, and mercy is an attribute of grace, by the way. I mean, mer you can't separate mercy from grace. It's, it's part of that. Grace is unmerited favor. Hey, mercy is unmerited favor. I don't deserve it, but, but I get it. It's it's a, it's a subset of that. But when we underestimate God's mercy, we underestimate Jesus. How many of you underestimate Jesus? 
Well, yeah, I guess uh, that's pretty easy to answer. Let me give you something that's easier to answer. Have you ever done something wrong that you knew was wrong before you did it? Today? <laughs> it could be a bunch of hands go up for that. I mean, I, I, I have. We all have. And you know what? We all will again. We all will again. It's, that's part of being a human, human being and just, we're stupid. You know, that's what we are. Uh, a side note here, you know, because some people think, well, hey, you know, I'm walking with the Lord now and, I, and I'm not sinning anymore. I put all those ways behind me and I'm glad for all the ways that you put behind you, but you're still sinning. If you're walking around living and breathing, uh, I'm just telling you that. And here's the thing. The closer you get to God, the more clearly you see your sin. I mean, over in Isaiah chapter 6, where Isaiah saw the Lord and his glory filled the temple. And, and he, when he went to the temple that day, he did not go thinking, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. No, he didn't, he didn't go thinking that. He probably went thinking, I'm going to church. Yeah. And he got there, and he saw the Lord, and when he saw the Lord, I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And so if you don't see any sin in your life, you're not very close to God. You're, 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 you're far away from the light. So that there's enough darkness that you don't, you don't see very well. We, we should try to do our best. But we also need to understand that we have not, cannot, exhaust God's mercy. You know, fear is sin. How many of you knew that fear was sin? Yeah, it's one of the, it's one of the biggies. Uh, <laughs> Even the Owen kids know that fear is sin. Did y'all teach them that? They all got their hands up. It's, it's great. <laughs> and, and often we're motivated to do better because we're afraid God's not going to love us if we don't. We're, we're afraid God's not going to forgive us anymore. I mean, he's already forgiven me for that umpteen million times. I, he, I'm sure he wasn't going to do it again. So I'm afraid and that's my motivation. And the very motivation is sin. Because we're motivated by, by fear. It's only when we are confident of, of His love and His mercy that we can really respond in the right way and, and become a living sacrifice. Oh, love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong shall forevermore endure. And when Paul urges us to be a living sacrifice, he doesn't do it on the basis of you better be a living sacrifice or you're going to go to hell. You better be a, a, a living sacrifice or, or God won't love you. You better be a living sacrifice or you're going to bring shame on the, on the name of God. No, he urges us to be a, a living sacrifice in view of God's mercy. Be a living sacrifice because you're not going to hell. Be, be a living sacrifice because God does love you. Be, be a living sacrifice because no matter how much you fail, no matter how much you stumble, you're going to bring glory to God as He conforms you to the image of Jesus Christ. It's, it's a beautiful thing. 
really is. And so, uh, you know, when we, if we don't start there, if we don't start with that understanding, then we can't get to being a living sacrifice. Well, only thing we can do is, is use the stuff that, that we use to manipulate ourselves and sometimes others. The only thing we can do is fake it. And so he says, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. Wonder what the pattern of this world is. You know, when I, when I grew up, I grew up being taught that the pattern of this world was wearing the wrong clothes and going to wrong places and eating the wrong stuff or, or drinking the wrong stuff. I don't know. Uh, but that's not the pattern of this world. The pattern of this world starts with me. The pattern of the kingdom starts with God. And so when I'm being conformed, whenever I start with me and I go, okay, I am the starting point, then I am being conformed to the pattern of this world. But whenever God is the starting point, I'm being transformed over into the pattern of the kingdom, of what, of what the kingdom is. So what is, what is a living sacrifice? Well, Jesus is, is the pattern for a living sacrifice. And the first thing that comes to mind when we think about Jesus, we think about sacrifice is what? The cross. It's the first thing, it's the first thing that comes to mind. We think about Jesus and his sacrifice. And the cross is huge, hugely significant, but that isn't how Jesus lived. That's how Jesus died. And living can be far more challenging than dying. When, uh, when we had Margaret's service, uh, I played a song that she was supposed to play at my funeral. <laughs> uh, and uh, because that was our deal, that whoever went first, the other one would play that song. And I, and I made the comment that, uh, you know, that's what it was supposed to be, but death can mess with your plans almost as much as life can sometimes. Life is what can really mess with your plans. Dying, for those who are in the Lord, dying is described as rest. Enter into your rest. It's, it's described as being gathered to your people. Uh, the older I get, the more people I have to be gathered to <laughs> on the other side. But they're, they're there, and I'm, you know, that's not something I'm dreading at all because being gathered to my people, that's uh, okay. Yeah, I, I, can, I can go for that. When Jesus died, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. This, this is the time now. Living was the challenge. Living was the challenge uh, for Jesus. <laughs> he, uh, Joseph, his father, died. We don't know when he died, but he just, he's never mentioned again after the incident of the boy Jesus in the temple and then bringing him home. So, so he lost, lost his dad out uh, of fairly young age. His brothers didn't believe in him. You ever, you ever had anybody in your family not believe in you? You ever had anybody in your family go, you ain't, you ain't going to amount to nothing, you know? And I know that's, that's bad English, but it's Tennessee English. Uh, you know, there's, uh, but, and Jesus' brothers didn't believe in him. John says, even his own brothers didn't, didn't believe him. All three synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, 
record Jesus saying, you unbelieving and perverse generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long do I have to put up with you? Can anybody relate? You guys must all be saints. (laughs) Saints are stones or something. Listen, yesterday was my day. Yesterday was my day. I had a a number of places that I needed to drive, and everywhere that I drove, I was behind people who were having conversations instead of driving their cars. (laughs) And I I went to to get gas, and I was... There shouldn't have been any traffic here. But I, but I went to get gas, and when I was going to pull out to go, you know, here comes this car right behind me. So my, my, my backup thing's going beep, beep, beep. So I can't back up, and here comes this car just kind of moseying along. And about the time it gets past me, there's another car moseying along. And then they get to the place, and I'm going, and then here comes a dump truck moseying along behind it, and another dump truck. And I go, this is How long must I put up with you, (laughs) you perverse and evil generation? Well, Jesus experienced that a lot. One of his 12 closest friends betrayed him to death. One of his three closest friends denied that he knew him in in his hour of greatest need. His three closest friends went to sleep instead of praying with him. In the last hour, they were going to get to spend with him before the cross. (laughs) He tasted temptation to the full. He is the only one who ever has. Back in the uh, late 70s, I guess it was, uh, Wayne Berry and another friend, Randy Thompson and myself, we were in a band and we were, doing, we were playing in a, a concert up in uh, uh, Knoxville at a, at a coffee house. And it was a Christian concert, you know, and, uh, and we had a, we had a, a heckler. It's kind of strange, you know, you got a little coffee house, you got a Christian concert going on, you got to get a heckler, who knows? And, uh, you know, and the guy, you know, was talking about, well, you, you, you know, that, that's not true. This is, but, and, and he finally said, you don't understand. You don't understand what it is to, to be on drugs and stuff. And, uh, and I was thinking about saying something to him, uh, but Wayne beat me to the punch and said, I've been, I was behind drugs for 16 years because he was in his 30s and he's an old man. He still is an old man. But I said, I was behind drugs for 16 years. And the whole room went, whoa. Yeah. And the heckler kind of went, Shh. here's the thing. It's not the ones who give in to temptation who know how strong temptation is. It's the ones who resist it all the way to the end. And there's only ever been one who did that. Hebrews says that Jesus has been tempted in every way just as we are. He may not have driven a car, but he certainly had moments of how long must I stay with you? Yet he did not sin. And so the keys to being a living sacrifice, here's here's the key to being a living sacrifice. The key to being a living sacrifice is obedience inspired by love. That's, That's what it is. Jesus 
as he was getting ready to go to the cross, said, the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me, but he comes so that the world, that's us, may learn, which is what we're needing to do, that I love the Father and I do exactly what the Father has commanded me. That's a living sacrifice. The Son only says what he hears the Father say. The Son only does what he sees the Father do. Being a living sacrifice is never about doing everything. Because we have a tendency to think, oh, if I'm going to be a living sacrifice, well, I got, I got to do that, and I, and I need to do this, and I need to help with that. And I need... Jesus didn't heal everybody. Uh, I remember back in, uh, in, in the early 80s, I guess, there, uh, it was the first time the Lord's Chapel took, took a group down to Jamaica. And when they came back, uh, one, of the, one of the couples that had gone were Doug and Dabney Mann. And I remember Dabney uh, had a, an epiphany while she was down there. And in her testimony, she said, you know, while I was there, I realized I saw so much need. I saw so much poverty. I saw, I saw so much that needed to be done. And I realized not only can I not do this all, but if I just jump in and try and start doing, I'm going to miss what God wants me to do. I need to listen to Him and see what it is I'm supposed to touch and what it is I'm supposed to do. So being a living sacrifice is not about trying to do everything. It's also not about, it's also not about false humility. You know, there's, it's not about, well, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm the sacrifice. I, I just, you know, do let this happen, let that happen. Jesus accepted worship for crying out loud. He did because he was worthy. And he, he was the most humble person who's ever lived. He said, he said, I am humble and lowly. He actually, he, he was speaking King James. He said, I'm meek and lowly. But, but what, what he meant was, I am humble and lowly. Jesus said that. There's only one other person who ever said anything like that. And that was Moses, who said, Moses was the most humble man on the face of the earth. Yep. Numbers 12, 3. Just read it right there. We know he was humble because he told us. But also, if you read his life, you saw he was. Absolutely was. If you're nothing, you have nothing to give. You are something. And you have something to sacrifice and, and something to give. And, and one other thing it's not about that we tend to make it about, it's not about formulas. It's not about, okay, this is how you live as a sacrifice. If you're always the last one in line, and that's how you do it, and you've got a routine, and that's, that's the way it, it's... The, the devil can play you like a $3 violin. He, believe me, he will get you all twisted up. Those of you uh, who didn't hear last week's sermon, shame on you. You should. It was really, really good. And Kevin was telling a story that involved, well, he was actually the main character, but Bruce, Bruce Coble was, was, uh, was a primary character in it, and it involved being in line at a, at a, uh, a potluck or whatever, uh, and, and Kevin getting to the back of the line because he knew Bruce was coming, and Bruce always got to the back of the line. Except, except this time, 
when Bruce cut the line, and he not only cut the line, he got the last scoop of macaroni and cheese. Now, you see, that's not Bruce's M.O., either one of those things at all. So why did he do it? He did it because he felt like God said, you need to stay here and talk to these people. And he probably wasn't even thinking about the macaroni and cheese. You know, just, yeah, last scoop, let's have it. You know, in the cosmic scope of things, he did it because he was being obedient to God, and God did it to teach Kevin O'Day a lesson. (laughs) But he couldn't have done that if Bruce was the kind of guy who goes, no, I've always got to be at the back of the line. No, what you've got to always do is listen. Being a living sacrifice is, is entirely about obeying the Father because you love Him, not because you're afraid of Him, not because something's going to bad happen if you don't, but because you love Him in view of God's mercy, response to His love. We love because He first loved us. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. You can learn about God's rule by reading, I mean, God's, God's will. You can learn about God's will by reading stuff, and you should. And you can learn about God's will by listening to teaching. But you can only test it by living it. That's the only way you can test it and find out that it is good, it is pleasing, and, and, and it is perfect. And so what's all this got to do with worship? Uh, I... Okay, because this is your true and your proper worship. You know, if your worship, if worship to you requires musical accompaniment and the proper setting, and uh, then then you don't understand worship at all. I mean, it, uh, that's kind of like uh, knowing Nashville and thinking you know the United States. Yeah. Oh, you, you you know where the you you got where the pickers are, but there's a whole lot more going on than just that because that's just a, a tiny little part of worship. And you may be mistaking uh, an experience for worship. Uh, experiences are great. They're, they're good. I grew up in a culture that every time we came together for church, we came looking for an experience. You know, and, and uh, church was really fabulous if it went till midnight. Can I get a witness? No, y'all aren't old enough to ever have, have had that happen to you. Alan probably could, could do that. Yeah, I mean, that's when, oh boy, we had great service tonight, man. Uh, you know, sister so-and-so cried and, and brother so-and-so whooped, and we, we were there till midnight. We tarried until. We, we were there, and Dairy Queen was closed when we got, when we got done. Well, oh, what a night. Yeah. <laughs> Experience can be great, but that, if, that's, if that's the culture, that's not necessarily healthy. Right. You can find someone who's great on a date, but if you, wanna, if you want something meaningful, you need somebody who can bring life to Monday morning. Yes. You, you need somebody who can bring life to Thursday afternoon. Yeah. And true worship brings both. Jesus said to the woman at the well, the time is coming when it's not going to be a matter of where you are. 
You, you won't worship the Father either on this mountain or in Jerusalem. The time is coming. It's now come, in fact, when the true worshipers will worship Him in spirit and in truth wherever they are because God is spirit, and that's what He desires. That's what He is, that's what he is looking for. Uh, sacrifice, the main component in worship gatherings historically was to bring a sacrifice. When we come together to worship, we need to bring something tangible. And, you know, that includes an offering. Uh, you know, that includes our focus. That includes our attention. That includes our time. That includes our participation. Bring something tangible. But the, the living sacrifice is not money. It's not time. It's not talent. The living sacrifice that God is looking for is the sacrifice of my will to His. And if I'll sacrifice my will to His, these other things will happen. But they're just symptoms. The real deal is sacrificing my will. And we will find that unlike our will, His will is always good. And it's ultimately pleasing. It's perfect. 